Merciful and merciful and gracious God, we come before you proclaiming that we are your children. Even through our disobedience, you never let us escape from your love and protection. Lord Jesus, we gather together for this Good Friday worship. We remember a somber time for all who followed you to the cross. We remember a holy day when you showed how set apart you were from the world. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to us in human flesh, enduring the pain and suffering on earth, and ultimately dying on the cross for our sake. With this sacrifice, we know that our relationship with you, Lord, has been restored. You have paid the price for all our transgressions, past, present, and future. We gather tonight to lift up our prayers to you, to praise you, and to receive your good news. We ask that the Holy Spirit intercede for us in every thought, our every word, and our every action. May our hearts be filled with the love you have for each of us as we worship you. Lord Jesus, help us remember your glory and majesty as you enter Jerusalem. We celebrate you as the Messiah that freed the world from the bondage of sin. Only you, Lord, had the plan and knew what would have happened, would have to happen at the cross. Continuously remind us of the awesome act of love and sacrifice you made for us, going to the cross and bearing the guilt of the world through the cross. We pray that in whatever circumstances we are in and whatever sin that hold us down, we can go to the cross in repentance and lay down all of our burdens. We are so undeserving of your love, but you give it freely. Help us to accept your everlasting love and grace daily. Lord, help us to remember that we are all part of one body with Jesus Christ, our Lord, as the head. Help us to make godly resolutions to read your word, to meditate on it, and pray to you daily. Through House Church, help us to be accountable and share our praises and our prayers so that we can support each other. We pray for our house churches to deepen our fellowship and to reach out to VIPs and MIAs. Lord Jesus, as we remember your finished, remember your finished work on the cross, we also look forward to Sunday when we remember your resurrection. We pray all these things in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last Sunday, we saw Jesus' crucifixion, and throughout this week, we witnessed the passion of Christ in his last hours from Garden of Gethsemane to Golgotha. This evening, we will look at the climax of our Lord's redemptive suffering in Mark uh, chapter 15, verse 33 to 39. Here, we hear our Lord's, uh, we hear Christ's only saying on the cross in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, his cry on the cross was the last time that Mark showed us Christ speaking in his book. And I, have, I must warn you that many biblical scholars and many theologians confess that this is one of the most difficult passages to interpret and understand fully. So let us read the text with humility 
asking Holy Spirit to illuminate our mind and inspire our heart. So look, uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he is calling Elijah. Some ran, filled a sponge with a wine vinegar, put it on a staff, offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes, take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of a temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, and he said, Surely this man was a son of God. According to Mark 15.25, Jesus was crucified at 9 p.m. At noon, suddenly darkness covered the whole place for three hours until Christ cried and died. The eclipse was not an accident, but a sign that Amos prophesied in Amos chapter 8, verse 9 and 10. Amos chapter 8, Okay. okay, thank you. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like a morning for an only son, mourning for an only son, and the end of it like a bitter day. The first time darkness covered the earth in the Bible was a ninth plague of darkness in Egypt, right before the first Passover took the firstborn of every unbelieving household and family in Exodus chapter 10. Today, God sent the darkness again before striking His own Son, His only Son, full of faith and obedience. God, who has been faithful and righteous, was about to mourn for the death of His only begotten Son, and angels and the whole realm wept with Him. To know God, somebody said, means to know suffering and darkness. But when you see suffering and darkness with God, you will also say what David confessed in the Psalm 139, 12. Psalm 139, 12, David said, Even though darkness will not be dark to you, the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as, as light to you. The darkest suffering of Christ will become the brightest and the strongest hope of faith for us if we hear today the cry of Christ correctly. Here we see Jesus suffering the wrath of God for our sin, yet not surrendering his faith in God. Our Lord was victimized by our sin, but he was victorious with his faith in God. Hence, Christ not only saves us, 
by suffering the penalty of our sin, but also summons us, summons us by sticking to faith, to trust and shout to God in our struggles. Let me parse this dense theological statement that I just put on you. What we see in Christ's cry, uh, cry on the cross is a two realities converging. First reality is the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? Wrath of God to sin resulted in alienation and separation. Look at the Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his faith from you, so that he will not hear. How does the sun separate us from God? Isaiah says, sin hides God's face from us. How sin hides God's face from us? If you remember Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, what did they do? Their sin made them fear God, God of love, all of a sudden, irrationally, and uh, made them hide themselves from His usual visitation and presence. We have to remember the power of sin comes from distortion of God. Power of sin comes from its distortion of God. Sin is like a parasite or virus. Sin doesn't have a power of its own. Sin gets its power by distorting and misrepresenting God to us. When sin strikes us, it makes us very uncomfortable with God. So we go away from God into our own hiding places where we are suffocated to death without the oxygen called the love of God. When Christ bore the entire sin of all humanity, He was feeling this brutal separation and alienation and suffocation without God. And here we are confirmed that Christ truly became one of us, the sinners. And as a representative of all sinners, he suffered our lot. Now, before I move from the reality of sin and rest to the second reality of a faith and the wonder of a faith, I want to make one thing clear and correct. That is, some modern theologians and preachers took the Christ's forsakenness farther than biblical and theological traditions that we have. They claim when God the Father abandoned God the Son, there was some kind of ontological rupture, breakdown within the Trinity. For instance, a renowned German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, famously said, Here, in Cry of Christ, we find God has an enmity within Godhead. He said, God has enmity within God's head, and we are witnessing God against God. God against God. He called the cry of Christ a cry of derelection or abandonment, and he portrayed the Christ-saving work as nothing but our co-sufferer or solidarity with the sinners. What do you think? 
I reject and we must reject and correct this interpretation on uh, actually many grounds. But I want to talk about biblical, textual, and also actually extensional personal ground. First, cry of Christ that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? came from actually Psalm 22.1. Jesus was quoting Psalm 22.1. And actually, I, I, I've, uh, after reading uh, Jürgen Moltmann's famous book, The Crucified God, I actually went to his lecture. Uh, and then I asked him in person that if he thought Christ actually quoting Psalm 22, guess what? He avoided me and rest of the meeting. You know, when you take a, a Livingstone Bible study, you will see the full connection of Mark 15 and Psalm 22. I'm trying not to repeat the Livingstone Bible study here for the time's sake. And I really tell, you know, encourage you to take a Livingstone Bible study. So even though Jesus quoted only the first verse of Psalm 22, if you look at the rest of Mark chapter 15, it is clear that Mark had a Psalm 22 in his mind and that's how he perceived that Christ's crying was all about. So the rest of the key you know, prophecy in Psalm 22, such as uh, mocking the Messiah, dividing his clothes, and the nakedness and crucifixion, Mark described all his passion narrative. And all New Testament scholars that I know, they agree on this, that Christ was pointing out um, Psalm 22. Now, second reason that I believe that he was, uh, Jorgen Boltzmann and the people following his theological rationale is wrong is because if a Christ really, really felt abandoned by God and felt some kind of enmity, hostility from the Father, how come Christ continued to trust God? That we see later in the uh, Luke chapter 23, 43, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when, when he said that, he breathed his last. If, so how, how could Jesus continue to trust God? If he really felt that God has a, you know, forsaken him, then he wouldn't say much more. And if Jesus was, as a result, bitter and sour, do you think the Roman centurion would make a confession that we read today, that Christ being a divine or son, or son of God. And lastly, the practically speaking, you know, Savior we need is not just somebody who commiserates with us. When I had a COVID, what I really needed was a more than sympathy and solidarity. You know, when I had a COVID, Dan Lee, my neighbor, he had a COVID at the same time. But his empathy, nor my empathy for him, did not save us at all. Likewise, sinners need more than solidarity, empathy, and commiseration. We need a savior and cure. Now, how did Jesus save and cure us? here on the peak of his afflictions. Amazingly, Jesus called God, I mean, Father, my God, my God, my God, my God. 
You have to know in the Bible, repetition of a name means affection. For instance, when Abraham passed the test of faith by obeying God's command to sacrifice his son, what did God say? He called Abraham's name twice. Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you fear me. You know, when God called Abraham, it's not just out of emergency, but out of joy and affection that Abraham, now I know how much you trust me. No, actually, God knows everything, you know. But God wants to affirm Abraham. He's a joy about Abraham's trust and confident faith in God. Now, no matter how hard and lonely Jesus' suffering was, Jesus never doubted God's presence in his life. Trinity means a loving relationship, not just any loving relationship, perfect perfect loving relationship. And the love never abandons the beloved, especially in times of trouble and affliction. You know, that God the Father that Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 15, the parable of prodigal son, he never abandoned his son, even the prodigal son. So this idea that God literally abandoned Christ, this is a this is, a, this is a wrong theology, dangerous theology. It is a false theology. It, rather, here what I see is that Jesus must be really the Son of God because no one in such affliction would and could maintain faith in God. And here on the cross, Jesus has no precursor to follow. No prophet. Nobody before ever suffered and mocked and ashamed and pained like Christ. He has no precursor to follow. His crucifixion and passion was truly unprecedented. And where does he get the faith? You know, here... What I call the you know, the hypostatic union of Christ in Christ, the humanity and divine human nature and divine nature is a coexisted without confusion, without mingling, without uh, without any kind of uh, change. Is happening. Christ suffered as a human, but at the same time, as a divine, he did not. Surrender into the suffering and doubt on God's love, but his divine relationship with the Father. He made him to cry out to Father. And that is a faith. When you have a faith in God, you cry out to God no matter where you are. That is a faith. Actually, when you don't have a faith in God, you just believe your, your lot or your suffering and then you curse God and then just you know, stay away. That's what a lot of people do. But people who know God through Jesus Christ, God who God will always hear us and ultimately will answer us, will keep crying, keep shouting to God. Jesus did not die renouncing God. Even in the inferno of his abandonment, he did not surrender his faith in God but rather he expressed his anguished prayer 
the fighting cry of our faith, a cry of our formation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the last saying of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And you know what? Mark doesn't end Gospel of Jesus Christ with a Good Friday tragedy. Guess what? Jesus' last cry was a question. Why do you forsake me? And we will find the answer on Easter Sunday. God didn't, God answered Christ's cry with a resurrection. So brothers and sisters, cry out to God. No matter what predicament, no matter what suffocation, no, no matter what affliction you go through, trust me, our God is Emmanuel. He is with us. We can cry out to God, and nothing will separate us from Him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we cannot fathom the depth of a suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. Truly, He bore our sin and all His guilt and shame on His body. Yet he showed us through his cry of faith and trust that there is nothing in this world, neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor nothing else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. Thank you, Jesus for dying for us on the cross with a faith. Because you died, we are born again. Because you died, we are found again. Because of you, we now trust God, no matter what affliction and challenge we have in life. Receive our profound gratitude from bottom of our heart and much more. Help us cry out to Father just as you did in the power of the Holy Spirit. We know your love is never ending. Your love is never failing. Your love is ever living and rising. In your most holy name we pray. Amen.